Hello, hello. Hey, everyone. Our guest today has embraced the journey. He's a man who's explored very many parts of the world and done some pretty incredible things, uh, including his time since I've known him in Beijing as the six-time Beijing City boxing champion. He also got his start as an NBA journalist uh, in Korea. I think he covered the Korean Basketball League as well. Uh, meanwhile, as Boxing City champion six times, uh, he moonlighted as a Chinese propagandist <laughs> or journalist or journalist with a white face. Uh, give it up for my friend, Nick, the Quantum Beast Bedard. My name is Brian Shinborn. I'm an explorer of people, places, and culture. In my travels spanning over 20 countries across four continents, I've had the pleasure of engaging in authentic conversations with amazingly interesting people. These are their stories, on location and unfiltered. Presented by 8B Media, this is Half the City. Thanks for having me on, Brian. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to share, I'm happy to share the journey. Uh, like you said, I do embrace the journey. Uh, the destination is important, but um, the the mass emphasis of, of of my you know lifestyle and so on has been the journey time and time again. And we're going to talk about a few of those journeys today. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much. I hope this is going to be you know entertaining. Uh, if not, you know it's, if you if you learn anything from it, that's great. But uh, I'm here to share my story because well, this Shan, is what this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right, so, right. So I'm coming right. back off from a brief hiatus. I, I had to take a little bit of a break due to some family emergencies. Um, but I'm posting up in the studio right now in, uh, in Hollywood. Uh, nice little spot. Uh, and we're doing this one remote, baby. Nick's hanging out. Where are, you, where are you at? Are you in Montreal or? I'm in Toronto, Canada. Toronto, right. Okay, right on, man. So uh, what, what brings you to Toronto? What, what are you, I mean, what are you doing back there now? Well, this is home for me. So mm -hmm. after uh, almost a decade of, you know, traveling and, 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 you know, fulfilling journeys that I've always wanted to fulfill, mm -hmm. I finally come back to my home base and used all of the knowledge, used all of the experience to establish uh, the career that I'm doing now, which I'm super excited about. I don't want to spoil it right away. I guess we could start with kind of what brought me to Asia in the first place, because yeah. that's kind of where the journey all begins. I mean, so you said you spent what, like 10 years in Asia, roughly? Is that right? In nearly a decade. Yes. Yeah, nearly so, a decade. so how do you make a decision to go from Canada, you know, Western, Western culture, you know, Western lifestyle? Uh, how do you make that decision to go, you know, take that jump from that to something probably completely different to you? I mean, I know I lived in Asia as well, and I had my own reasons for it. Um, but that, that can be a pretty big move uh, for people coming from our parts of the world. It is. And I didn't grow up, you know, dreaming of going to Asia. That wasn't part of my, you know, plan after high school and, and going to, to journalism school and thinking, well, you know what, I'm going to go cover some stuff in Asia. That, that was never part of the formula. What happened was I wanted to be a sports writer. I was a, I was a pretty good high school athlete, played soccer, played basketball, mm -hmm. you know, even badminton, uh, you know, uh, football. And, and I was 
always kind of uh, you know overachieving in these esports, and and oftentimes I would be interviewed by the local journalists, and I thought, well, you know what, that that'd be a pretty cool job. I, I don't think I'm going to be making the NBA at all. Basketball was my favorite sport. I I spent you know countless hours just shooting 500 jump shots from from this corner and then 500 from that corner. I'm you know just going through these regiments of um, you know trying the best I'd be at that mm-hmm. and kind of funneled into like journalism when I chose journalism as something I wanted to pursue um, it was really uh, it, I really brought that that kind of mindset of those 500 jumpers from the corner to journalism where I wanted to learn everything about it mm-hmm. and and I wanted to cover basketball so when I was a, um, a, a, you know in journalism school covering the school uh, you know team you know traveling with them on the road games and really being like a beat writer for the local for the school paper that really excited me um, to, you know, look at different options on where I could fit into this heavily competitive, you know, basketball journalist market. I, I was really lucky at the time because journalism was transitioning from kind of a print and broadcasting medium to uh, the blogosphere, where uh, you know, uh, journalism was going to a really digital-based. Uh, a medium or, or, or uh, media per se. Mm-hmm. So I, I looked at that. Blogging was very young. Um, having your own site was very young. That was very new. We're talking about 2009. Mm-hmm. And, and just to put that into perspective, I think YouTube started you know, being popular around 2008. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it, everything was still kind of young and figuring itself out. So after journalism school, I really, you know, I, I picked up a job uh, as a copywriter for a, a, an advertising company. And that's, that's, it's interesting that I say that because that's going to come full circle. But before we go too far as a copywriter, that's when I was kind of mapping this uh, master plan of, of figuring out where I'm going to fit into this kind of NBA, uh, you know, journalist uh, a dream that I had. So the destination was I want to be an NBA writer. I want to be an accredited NBA writer. I want the badge that says Nick Bedard NBA media, but it's the journey that I had to figure out. And so how did you like, what did you, you know, how did you figure out that Asia was the place to be? Well, around that time, um, the it was it was about 2010, 2011, around the time that I started getting really serious about you know uh, shifting from the copywriting role back into what I wanted to do as as my dream job per se, mm-hmm. and and uh, the MBA was in lockout at the time. The the collective bargaining oh, agreement they were at the table with the owners, and 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 so there was a lockout in the league. And a lot of players were going to play in Turkey. A lot of players were going to play in Greece. But that economy was also, you know, still recovering from the 2008 financial crisis. Right. You know, Europe was mm-hmm. tanking. And, and some say it hasn't really recovered yet, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I didn't really see much happening there in the sense of, you know, you know to try and kind of fit into this, this, this role. There were, there were already people kind of covering the league, but... Not really because, you know, a lot of cuts were being made to the, 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 the media industry there. And, and it just didn't seem as exciting to me. So then I thought, well, what about college ball? Seeing how there's no NBA, maybe I could kind of, but I'm in Canada, right? I'm in Toronto at the time. So the, there, really, there isn't really an NCAA presence here. Right. But what I did see, and, and this was during the time where Jeremy Lin was, was, was coming out and mm-hmm. he was having his fame. 
Yao Ming was, was already established. And I saw some of the players sign these ridiculously high contracts. We're talking about like six figures, seven figures over in China. And, and we're talking about guys like J.R. Smith and Kenyon Martin who grew up on the streets and, and kind of have that, you know, that cultural attitude that, 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 that really like is kind of the opposite of that strict attitude that's in China. Mm-hmm. So I thought, wow, what, what a story. These guys are going over there and not giving a shit about anything. <laughs> They're just going to, can I swear here? Yeah, dude, you can say whatever they, the fuck you want. It's, I'm sorry, but they don't give a shit. They're going over there. They're collecting their paycheck while these owners figure it out. And, and as far as rules and regulations, I'm just showing up to play and that's it. I mean, uh, I heard this one story about Kenyon Martin first meeting the owner of a team over there, and he had his shoes on the table. He had his <laughs> he had his Beats headphones on, and the owner's coming to say, like, hey, we're happy to have you here. He's like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Just give me the ball. <laughs> yeah, so I thought, well, what a story. Nobody's covering this. This is hilarious. So I thought, okay. You know, I, 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 know, I know where I need to go. I know where I need to go, but I don't know how to do it yet. Mm-hmm. So I need to come up with a kind of a brand. I need to come up with a website. Mm-hmm. And, and working in copywriting, I was around people that were doing web dev. I was around people that were buying domain names for clients and so on. So I really had a good insight on, on the marketing side of it and the development side of it from, from where I was working. So I was kind of positioned in a, in a good place where I could learn kind of how to take that next step and then I went to a blogging conference in Toronto where they had a bunch of sports bloggers and mind you this is very new at the time you know Jamel Hill was there uh, uh, from ESPN mm-hmm. um, uh, a few other like sports illustrated writers that were there and and, and it was a conference where uh, we didn't really know what was going on, but we knew something was coming up. You know, we were talking about the early ages of SB Nation or Bleacher Report. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, well, you know, if I could follow that and do my own thing, uh, that that could probably catapult me into to Asia, and I could bring that kind of blog brand with me. You know, not blog in the sense of where, what I had for breakfast, but blog in the sense that this is what I'm covering. You know, as part of of what a newspaper sports section would be. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's where Basketball Buddha came about, right? That's, that's where I got the idea. I needed a brand. I needed a name. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, basketballinasia.com. Ah, boring. Yeah. Uh, basketballwithcharacteristics.com. You know, or, you know, and then I was like, hey, well, you know, basketball is kind of a religion to me at the time. I was really invested into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's kind of the religion in, in, in Asia, the shared kind of, is the Buddha, right? Everyone kind of thinks of the Buddha as, as kind of India, kind of Thailand, kind of China, yep. kind of Korea, a little bit Japan. So it's like, okay, basketballbuddha.com. So, you know, I, I reached out to a high school friend of mine who, who is in, uh, you know, graphics design. I said, mm-hmm. yeah, I need a logo. Uh, this is what I'm thinking. Uh, actually, my logo is based off a photo of Jamel, uh, or Jamal McGee. I think it's McGee, Jamel McGee. Who JaVale? plays for the Lake Javale McGee? Yeah, yeah and and he, he and he jumped up while he was in China or something and did this kind of um, Buddha pose. And I was like, there it is. So if you look <laughs> at my if you look at my logo, basketballbuddha.com, and you look at you know Google search Javale McGee uh, jumping Buddha stance, you'll see where I got kind of my my uh, my idea from. So you know I was really uh, at the drawing table researching a lot, what angle, but but I had everything kind of figured out here. 
Now I needed really to figure out the itinerary part of it. Okay, so so I, I've got a few bucks saved up from my job. I've got about two to three uh, yeah, grand. Is. How do I turn, you know, how do I turn this into, um, you know, uh, covering a whole season? Mm-hmm. So I looked at China. I said, well, well, you know, it's a big country. The teams are scattered all across the, 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 the country. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to travel from, from A to B to Z, that's going to cost a lot. And it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of resources that I don't really have at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, so, so China was kind of, while China was where all the action was, I couldn't really do it at the time. It just didn't make sense. Okay. So then I looked at Japan, I thought, ah, Japan, well, it's kind of expensive over there. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, the third option is that, well, is there a basketball league in Korea? <laughs> like, well, I, don't, I knew nothing about Korea. Absolutely nothing. So I was like, okay, well, what's going on over here? And then, and then Gangnam Style came out. Sai, yeah. remember that? Yeah. And that blew up. So I was like, hey, there's something going on over there. <laughs> it has nothing to do with basketball, but there's a league and it's close enough to China that I could kind of be awake during the Chinese games mm-hmm. and watch them and cover them. So I was like, okay, a rail pass, a rail pass for, for Korea costs 300 bucks and you could travel for like six months unlimited. Nice. Um, you know, you, you could stay in these, these motels, they call them love motels. So oftentimes, you know, <laughs> so when I flew there, I, I checked into this motel with like a heart shaped jacuzzi. And I was like, wow, this is not bad for 40 bucks. You know, and I was like, okay, cool. I can dig this. So you know, heart shaped. And, and then I, I traveled to another one where it was like, Eminem themed, you know, they had like Eminem wallpaper and like not Eminem the rapper, but like the the candy. Candies, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, so, wait, these are really interesting. So are there? Are there's like all sorts of themed hotels in Korea. Is that what you say? Like, hmm. what, yeah, they what, call them love. They call them love motels. So why don't you explain to the listeners what a love motel is? I had no idea what it was. I just booked <laughs> these on Booking.com, and it was a cheap motel, and I had my own room with Wi-Fi. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Like, uh, you know, I was thinking about doing the hostel thing, but I didn't want to be interrupted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I was really serious about kind of staying up all night and writing to go and back and bring the photos, bring all my notes and do some editing and do some brainstorming and write articles. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the reason. So, so when I flew to Korea and I landed, I went to check in and that's the, the one in Seoul where it had the heart shaped jacuzzi. <laughs> now I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. I could dig this. You know, I could dig this and a couple condoms there. And I was like, all right, well, I, I kind of know what this is for. It's probably like, for young lovers looking. This is amazing. But yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but there was a huge, like 55 inch flat screen LG TV. I was like, whoa, man. This is, like, like if, it surprised me that it didn't come out of the wall because this place is, I had like LED lights and stuff. It was really like a, it was like the, it was like a, a red dim like, <laughs> I was like, I was like this is pretty cool whatever man like uh, yeah so so that's that's kind of what brought me to Asia in the first place and that's uh, what made me choose Korea as my my starter point interesting so how long how long were you in Korea and where were you were you, were you in Seoul 
Well, I was in Seoul to start. Mm -hmm. So I spent a week in Seoul to gather my stuff, get over the jet lag. And then the season was about to begin. Now I had no media credentials. I was writing a couple articles about Tracy McGrady signing with a Chinese basketball shoe brand. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was writing a couple articles that like Dwayne Wade was in a cell phone commercial in China, Mm -hmm. just anything to get my website going. It wasn't anything relevant, but you know, just so I had something to, to add on to. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, when I got to Seoul, the, the league, the league started in a week. Now it's a six month league. So I'd plan to be there for six months. Right. And in that time I was to travel using my rail pass that I paid 300 bucks for. It's a company called KTX. And it's kind of like Amtrak where it'll take you anywhere. Mm-hmm. But you, but with this, with this rail pass, that's only accessible to foreigners you could travel the the entire you know country within six months. So it was perfect. Really, so three hundred dollar rail pass, like unlimited, unlimited. It's like a monthly membership to the yeah, and it's to kind of it's subsidized for foreigners so that you could explore the country a little bit. Tourism and stuff, sure. So that's where I took advantage of that. And, and as the season started, I covered a game in Seoul. Now I was sitting, I was sitting courtside because courtside seats were super cheap. It was like 25 bucks, what? 25, 25 to 30 bucks. And, and there were, these are big, like uh, arenas. Like we have, like, it's not the Staples center or, uh, in, in, or, or Madison square garden. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is kind of like a, a, a glorified high school gym where there's about 5,000 fans, you know, with a bunch of mascots and a lot of cheerleaders, you know, K-pop, K-pop is big over there. So they integrated that with the cheerleaders and so on. So I've I've never been to a Korean basketball game, but I was in, I I spent some time in Busan and I went to a baseball game there. It was the, it was the uh, Law Tour Giants. It was funny. Like it was, it was, uh, the, the stadium was about half full. And everybody was seated behind the home team's dugout. Yeah. And, and the reason and, why, and on top of the dugout, on yeah. top of the dugout were like between three yeah. and five, just absolutely gorgeous cheerleaders standing on top. They've got their own cheer for every single batter, every single player. They've got their own, they've got their own fucking moves. <laughs> Get all these horny baseball fans. Like, what are you there for? Are you, are you watching the game or are you enjoying the scenery? You know? Oh, exactly. No, it's it, it. It had very little to do with the game, but a lot to do with the entertainment that's that's <laughs> that's between between batters or between plays or during a timeout or something. Yeah. So you know, we we have the mascot flying out of a cannon, going to do a dunk and stuff, and they have you know uh, the mascot uh, you know kind of like dancing like k-pop stars mm-hmm. <laughs> right so so no it was really interesting uh, when i first got there now i wasn't i didn't have any media credentials so i was just kind of documenting stuff from courtside i had a camera i was taking photos um so i wasn't doing any interviews or anything i was just my my angle was what's it like watching a bas- professional basketball game in south korea mm-hmm. that's what my base base was so uh, uh, in Seoul, it's like this. In 
Ulsan, it's like this. In Jungju, it's like this. In Busan, it's like this. So a little bit of different experiences from different cities that that host professional basketball teams in South Korea. And it, it, it tracking all of my audience with Google Analytics. You know, I, I working in the advertising firm as a copywriter, I got to know these tools a little bit. I got to know uh, what keywords mean and stuff like that. So I was tracking this. And I was seeing, okay, where's the audience coming from? And a lot of it was uh, Korean Americans, specifically oh. Korean Americans who were playing ball and were interested in the NBA, but also wanted some ties to back home. Oh. Another angle, uh, and I'm kind of going ahead of myself here, but another angle I saw was uh, a lot of college, uh, college basketball fans who are following guys who weren't drafted in the NBA, but signed in a foreign country, whether it be Spain, whether it be Greece, or whether it be South Korea. They wanted some news about their guy who played at New Mexico uh, State University or San Diego State University, and, and they want to know what he's doing now because he was lighting it up at their school. Mm. So those are kind of the two angles that I saw early, and I kind of pushed my, my content towards that, the early adopters. Mm -hmm. Was that before the uh, the D League really got going, or the G League, or whatever it's called? Or it was the D League at the time, and the D League was still there, but you don't make as much money as you do playing professional ball uh, in the D League as, as you do in South Korea. So in a D League, you might make fifty grand a year. Back then, it was probably thirty-five, forty. Mm. You don't make a lot. In, in Korea, for an entire season, you're banking 250K to 400K. Oh, wow. You know, so it's a big difference. Mind you, um, the idea of transitioning your professional career from the D-League to the NBA is much more appealing because you're there, you're playing for the farm team. Mm -hmm. But if you're just committed for the money, perhaps you're going to go play somewhere else and give up that kind of NBA dream because not a lot of players – go play in uh, China or go play in Korea and then go to the NBA. Does that mean it's never happened? No, it's happened. Sure. Depending on the agent and so mm -hmm. on. But once you kind of leave America and go play ball, pro ball somewhere else out of college and you're not drafted, your chances of making the NBA are pretty slim. Yeah. I was going to say, you don't really hear too much about it unless maybe Spain, like the Spain league might be a couple like, you know, Ruby. or the D league. Or the, if you're willing to grind it out and 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 collect that 50k a year and just and just you know travel on buses and stay at the the motel six and 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 the rigorous life of you know uh, it's kind of like the opening band for you know uh, the, the the lead act right you, you're not a star but you're you're the opener and maybe if you get enough audience you could be the star you know <laughs> but but it, it it's it's, it's um it's a journey it is so so a lot of players will, will will give up that destination of nba and follow the money and the money really is in china it really is in korea it's in japan and the cost of living is lower as you know you lived in china so the cost of living is lower um further over there exactly yeah what are some um because i mean size i mean i've been to korea twice but i've only spent maybe like totally like two weeks there what are, I mean, so as you're traveling around to these different cities, you know, what are some of the things that kind of stood out to you? You know, do you have any, like, do you got some good stories of something that like, you know, 
maybe you're trying to get some place and, and just something really surprised you or you struggled with something like, I know you got some, I see you nodding. <laughs> it was really interesting for me because uh, I didn't really have a job, right? So sure. during the day, during the day, I wasn't really going to work. I wasn't going to an office. My work really started at like 6 p.m. on game day. So during the day, I'd kind of go out and go around. But there are a lot of old people in South Korea, you know, because that's what I saw. I was, I was like, like during the, there, during the day, everyone's in work or in school. So I was kind of hanging out with the older people. <laughs> like, so if I were going to grab a coffee or something, it's a bunch of old people just shooting the shit or something like that. Or if I was going to uh, the malls and try to go shopping, it's a lot of old people. So mm -hmm. I didn't really have that kind of uh, the same experience as somebody who kind of works there and lives there and so on. Uh, I guess my first impressions were it's really hilly. There's a lot of mountains, not not big mountains, but it's not as flat as Toronto. Mm. Um, in California, you guys have a lot of mountains and hills and so on. So it's probably different for someone from that perspective. But I saw a lot of mountains. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, the cities are kind of built on mountains. Mm. So it's yeah, it, that, that was pretty cool. Uh, Busan was really nice. Busan's cool. Um, yeah. One thing, one thing that really popped off about Korea is their advancement in technology. Their Wi-Fi was everywhere. You're always connected. Uh, televisions, uh, it was state of the art. Um, you know, you, you go to, you go to have noodles at some, you know, dive noodle bar, and there'll be like a 65 inch like flat screen TV with like high definition, and the places pumping with surround sound they they really take pride in their technology and and you know the the the, the transportation system in seoul is is fantastic and it's it's got tvs in it and stuff like that the tech is is awesome they they were really advanced in technology hmm. that's samsung for you huh you know it, i wonder it, you talk, talk about the old people <laughs> i just you talk about these old people it just reminds me of uh being in beijing you know you see these usually right about the time dusk starts to happen when it just starts getting dark at almost every city corner sidewalk corner you see just like dozens of old like grandmothers dancing Gone the grand right. dancing grannies <laughs> like they're everywhere is there i mean anything like that that you saw over there or yeah, a, a lot, but they do it indoors. They don't have these kind of the more, I mean, they do it outside, but not as much as China. They have these like bars that are like, like these nightclubs that are just for old people, like old people swingers type what? deal. <laughs> yeah, they have these like 65 and up swingers. Come on in, you know? Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I mistakenly <laughs> popped into one of those. <laughs> I mistakenly popped into one of those thinking, oh, this place is happening, you know? And I was like, oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you all try to get with one of them. You're like, hey, what's up, girl? What's your name is? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no. But uh, no, it was a really good experience. So, so I, I, I played it out. I was there for six months. Mm -hmm. And within that six months, um, I, I, my, my website was getting a little bit of traction. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was getting more popular. I started um, uh, with uh, getting into AdSense, mm -hmm. which for people who don't know what AdSense is, you know those annoying banners on media sites? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so those banners are there uh, uh, from, from AdSense. So essentially a, a brand will try to run display advertising on news sites and we as news sites would allow those banners to run across our, our, our website. So that's a sense of revenue. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I thought, okay, I, I've got 10 million unique, uh, 10, 10,000 uh, 10, uniques per month at the mm-hmm. time when I started, mm-hmm. I could kind of monetize. So, so I started doing that. And then, um, uh, some of the foreigners, uh, I was, I was seeing when, when I was back in Seoul and kind of, I kind of knew where they would go hang out in, in, in a place called like Itaewon, mm-hmm. which is where the military base is. Mm-hmm. So, so I'd kind of see those basketball players. I'm like, Hey, I'm the basketball Buddha guy. And they're like, who? I'm like, yeah, look, I'm covering, I'm, co- I'm covering the league. All right. So yeah. introducing, I, I, I'd love to, you know, uh, so they'd be like, yo, hit me up after a game one time and I'll give you, yeah, yeah. So cool. So I kind of started being like a social butterfly and really involved in the league. And uh, no, it was really cool. Uh, it was a great experience, six months. So I had my site, I had my site going come the off season. I had no reason to stay there. Mm. So, so I, I, I came back to, to um to toronto to kind of regroup say okay what's next maybe i'll go back next year but i was quickly called i was quickly called by um somebody that i met at the game so it was so sitting uh, so uh, somebody had passed on my website to um the vice commissioner of the league Hmm. who had two kids studying in in canada Oh. I said, look, I, I love what you're doing. Um, I, 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 um, after seeing what you've reported, I think it's great for the league. If you come back next year, we'll grant you full media access. Nice. And we'll have a media card for you. We want you to keep covering the league. Uh, we don't know what your plans are right now, but we'd love to have you back next year if you want to do it again. Great. Awesome. So, so I, I kept myself busy. You know, uh, I, I went back to that, that uh, you know, uh, uh, copywriting job. Which which sucked because you know I, I knew I was leaving within in like eight months. Right. But I, hey, give me another chance, and they did. So so I kind of, so so then I, I, that that flew by, and I was still covering off season stuff where uh, NBA players would travel to China or travel to Korea, mm-hmm. and I was I knew where to get my news sources from now. So you know Korea has their own Korean language basketball forums where they, they and, and, and it was as easy as me just copy pasting the article, putting it into translator, mm. taking words out and taking a kind of story out and kind of writing it in my own style. Mm-hmm. I was doing that for Korean news and I was doing that for Chinese basketball news. Nice. Okay. So you could call it plagiarism. Fine. Yeah. But at the time, <laughs> at, the t- at the time, no one was doing it. Now everyone's just spinning articles all over the place, right? Now you're seeing, you know, the, the same article rewritten a hundred million different ways. But at the time it was very, very new. Mm-hmm. So, so I, you know, I, 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 I was doing that and that kept the, the, the website uh, going for, for the off season. Come next, come next season. I was back in Korea. This time I had a media pass. I was talking to the journalists that were in Korea. They knew who I was. They're like, yeah, cool. I made really good connections there. Which and then I had access to the players. I had more access to the coaches and so on. And I spoke a little bit of Korean, not much, mm-hmm. but I spoke enough to get by. Enough so that come and timing is everything here. The Asian Olympics, which in Canada is kind of equivalent to the Pan American Games. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? Yep. The Asian Olympics came around, and I was hired by the Asian Olympic Committee to cover 
the basketball. Nice. Which was great. So they, they found me. They contacted me. They said, you know, we, 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 we love what you're doing with Asian basketball. Uh, you're the perfect fit for this role. We're trying to find one journalist to cover for uh, our website for each sport. And we'd like you to be that guy. It wasn't high paying. It, it, they they put me in media. They put me in media village. It, it was super cool. It was a great experience. From there, I met a lot of journalists from China, from Japan, and so on. And that is where I was. Uh, I, I got a connection to China Daily, which is in Beijing, mm -hmm. and and they were looking for writers. And and the guy who was you know covering sports for China Daily, also a Canadian said, hey, why don't you come on over? We, we've, got, we've always got spots available for journalists. Uh, I'll put you in contact. I said, great. I, I didn't think much of it, but two months later, I, 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 you know, I got a chance. They said, yeah, we, we, want, we want you to come over and interview and so on. So that's, that's, that's kind of where, and I didn't talk too much about the Asian Olympics. It was a great experience. It was a daunting, daunting um, a work schedule. Mm -hmm. I mean, all day from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. just covering hoops, which I love. Mm -hmm. But my God, was that tiring. Because after covering, you have to go to, back to editing. And you can be up till 2 in the morning. And then you do it all over again for 10 yep. days. Yep. Right? You know what's crazy about all that is, um, I mean, you're telling the story. And it's just... It's amazing to me how like you know you want to do something, right? You want to be you want to be a journalist, you want to cover basketball. Like you know like deep down in your heart this is what you want to do. And regardless of whether you've got credentials or whatever else, you're like fuck this, I'm doing it. I'm like I'm not going to let anybody stop me, right? Absolutely. And you fucking did it in your own little guerrilla guerrilla journalism style. Speaking of which, speaking of which, this is where everything kind of comes together. So after this grind of, uh -huh. you know, covering uh, the Korean basketball league for a year from, from, from courtside mm -hmm. to the grind of covering another year um, uh, from press row mm -hmm. to the grind of covering the Asian Olympics, that's where I met the NBA Korea writer. So the, the guy who's in charge of NBA Korea, all content, NBA Korea, nbacorea.com, something like that. He said, well, I also do a magazine here in South Korea and we cover NBA. It's an NBA magazine in Korean. We would like you to do, we would like you to come on as a columnist to write an opinion piece for every month, every edition, and we will grant you NBA media credentials. Awesome. So that's where, and then it was like, wow, uh, two years, everything just, and, and it happened. You know, some people would wait 10 years, 15 years, get coffee for that guy, plug this printer in and, and kind of work their way up the ranks in, in, in a newspaper. But in two years, I finally had NBA credentials due to the guy who saw the work I was doing at the NBA, uh, the Asian Games. said, I'm an NBA writer. I know you're friends with this guy who's, who's covering uh, the Korean Basketball League. We would like some sort of partnership here. And, and it was awesome, man. I, I, I was like, oh, great. So I kept, so I did a monthly column for them. And if ever I was going back to Toronto, I had my NBA press card and I could go interview players on the Toronto Raptors or the visiting team. So I remember one time, the first time I was an NBA uh, journalist with my press card, mm -hmm. I, I, I got the, uh, the email saying, yeah, you're, you're on the list. You're, you're all, you're, you're back in Toronto. There's your press. I was doing a story 
from a on a on a bench player like the 12th man of the Toronto Raptors mm-hmm. um and he played in the Korean Basketball League for a year mm. so there's kind of a connection there and that was where, where my kind of opinion piece came was was uh, uh okay what was it like playing in South Korea and what's it like playing in the NBA and and what are the main differences I could say it from a journalist perspective but not many people could say it as a player's perspective right right so it was really interesting to to get into the locker room uh interview a Greg Steesman and uh who, who I believe went to Nebraska or Wisconsin but anyways uh that that was kind of my first experience as an NBA journalist so in two years this kind of crazy plan that was kind of formulated from blogs with balls, which was the, which was the bloggers conference that I went to, you know? And, and yeah. That, and, and, it, and two years later, I'm, I'm an NBA journalist. So it, it was really a dream come to. It was a huge accomplishment. Wow. That's awesome, dude. I, I just, again, it's that, it's that hustle, dude. It's that, you know, the guerrilla warfare style of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bob and weave and go places where you don't think you're going to, be seen and just shit opens up dude that's crazy um so you met you mentioned that you uh that you got that call from china daily so for those of you that are not familiar china daily is yeah, they have chinese news but they, they have english news as well but it's a really big english news outlet in china it's, it's a giant chinese propaganda machine <laughs> if you will so what was, what was it like, um, you know, when you went from Korea to Beijing, like what was, you know, what was first, I mean, first, what was it like being, being a propagandist for the, for the powers that be? Uh, Cause journalism is different in China. It's, it's, you know, like in America, for example, it's free speech and all that. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's finding facts or, you know, sharing your opinion or whatever it is, you know, uh, calling the government out or whatever else the case may be. In China, it's more like the, from my understanding, more like the official mouthpiece of the government. Right. And and there are a few different outlets that are the, the mouthpiece of the government. Uh, 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 Al Jazeera is kind of, you know, Qatar's version of that. Mm-hmm. RT.com is, you know, Putin's version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want, uh, you know, NPR is kind of, kind of a mouthpiece of, of us but it's it's not totally funded by the government they, they take donations and so on and, right, and they yeah. do i think they do a really good job with their content but mm-hmm. nevertheless they're they're a wing of the and so on now some some are more extreme like rt.com or or, or and in china every single media outlet is the mouthpiece of mm-hmm. of 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 the government, right? There, there isn't an independently owned news outlet, but you know, I didn't, I didn't really look at, at, at that angle at the time for me, what it was is, wow, a journalism, you know, a journalism grad who started as a blogger mm-hmm. and now I'm working for one of the most, you know, the, the, uh, the highest, you know, delivered paper in the world. It, it, publication wise, their numbers are through the roof because their reach is just so huge, right? I didn't look at it as, you know, the official mouthpiece or a propaganda thing. I was thinking, wow, I'm officially a journalist now. I'm not I'm not a blogger, not a magazine opinion piece. I am a journalist. 
Nice. And and I wasn't a sports journalist. Actually, they threw me on culture. They threw me on culture. So I was like, okay, you know, that's cool. I, I'm a, a writer is a writer. A journalist is a journalist. I could still do basketball Buddha on the side. Mm-hmm. I'm in China now, and I could use kind of my, my journalism credentials from China Daily to have access to the CBA, the Chinese Basketball nice. Association, mm-hmm. right? And at the time, Stefan Marbury was there. Marbury, he was yeah. highly popular. So you want to talk about like traffic and clicks to your website. Mm-hmm. Stefan Marbury is a god for that. Nice. He will get you clicks galore because the type of stuff that he does in China is like, what? <laughs> you know, like, you know, he's got a statue yeah. outside, outside the uh, Wukasong Arena, which mm-hmm. is the home arena of the Beijing Ducks. So, so this guy, well, yeah, go ahead. Talk about Marbury for a second because, um, you know, uh, it's, he's, an, he's an interesting he's got an interesting story, right? Like he had his career in the NBA and he was you know, a perennial all-star, right? Like he was, he was a stud. Uh, wasn't, you know, it wasn't a goat, right? But like he was a, he was a legitimate star. Um, NBA lockout he, happened. At, at one point in time, Brian, sorry to cut you off, yeah, but no, no, no. he was, he was the, 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 the scoring champ of the NBA. Nobody in the NBA scored more than Marbury. Mm-hmm. He was a perennial all-star. Yep. Um, he was Brooklyn, Brooklyn's kid type thing, right? Uh, you know, from the big market of New York, and they've got their basketball superstar, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was covering the Beijing Ducks. Uh, I, I started, and, and I got to thank Diane from Infront because she she worked hard to get me that press credential. Getting press credentials for anything in China is very difficult. You know, you, you've got to be vetted. You've got to promise to, you know, only write good things type thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, she kind of worked the sports, and, and Infront is like the, the branding uh, um, uh firm of the CBA, like a lot of brands in America will have their marketing agency. So I guess in front was kind of their marketing agency. And that's how I got, you know, shoved into the uh, meet because they, they also decided who gets press credentials and so on. So, so she got me in and she's really cool. I was covering the beige. <laughs> Shout out Diane. Yeah. I was covering the Chinese basketball league only in Beijing. I wasn't traveling because I was working full time. And after work, I'd go to the games on a month on a Tuesday or Thursday night. Mm-hmm. At first, Marbury wanted nothing to do with me. Absolutely nothing to do with me. I thought, Hey, he's going to see another foreigner. This is going to be awesome. I, I, I I'm going to be able to, cause I've been able to relate with other foreigners in Korea easily. Yeah. They've always wanted to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Marbury is going to be the same. He just, a cold shoulder, ah. nothing to do with me. <laughs> it was very difficult to get him to say anything. And this lasted for like half the season. Jeez. And and I couldn't go like, hey, Diane, he doesn't want to talk to me. Or I couldn't go, hey, coach, why is it? No, it, at the end of the day, it's his own decision. He doesn't want to talk to you. He doesn't want to talk to you. Yep. I, I, he, I had nothing against him. He had nothing. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. He just didn't want to talk to me. So I was like, I was like, okay. I'm going to cover the other guy, which is Randolph Morris, and, and we're going to kind of kick it off there, and maybe Marbury will come in. Yes, I found out that there has been major negative press on Marbury from the United States, mm-hmm. okay? And there's been 
absolutely great press from Marbury in China. Yep. So who is he going to want to talk to? The guy who looks American or the guy who looks Chinese? Right. He's not going to want to talk to me because he thinks I'm there to write another stupid, you know, Marbury piece. No. Mm -hmm. Forget about it. He doesn't want to go into those waters. Mm -hmm. So half a year, I'm talking to Morris. I'm covering the games. Finally, I come out with a Marbury piece. Okay. I got Morris talking about him. I've got Sun Yue who played with Kobe Bryant in the Lakers. He's got a ring. Mm-hmm. I got Sonny Way talking about him. I've got enough understanding of what Marbury's like on the basketball court to really have a basketball story about Marbury without any of the stuff off the court that he's doing in Beijing. I didn't want to go into that. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to cover his abilities as a professional basketball player and what he's like as a teammate. Mm-hmm. Once that story came out, the very next practice, hey, man, Love the story. Who are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who are you working for? Who are, and so, so, and, then, and I said, hey, look, man, I'm just this guy. I got this website. Um, I, I'm doing this. All right, respect, respect, respect. And then, and then he still, he's still kind of hesitant to talk to me, but his, he, had, he had like a trainer there from Germany that was just Marbury's trainer mm-hmm. and, and he take care of his body and so on. And so, so he got close to me. So I kind of slow. It wasn't until playoff time that I could really go up to Marbury after a game and ask him any question. Hmm. That's crazy. <laughs> Dude, I mean, yeah, he got shit on, man. He got shit on pretty hard towards the end of his, his uh, NBA career. And then, but then he came back, you know, in, in China, man. I mean, he, you know, he won, what, three titles in four years, I think, with the Beijing Ducks. I mean, that's, that's why they got a statue. I mean, he's, he's like a Kobe, rest in peace, or – or Jordan or whatever over in China, man. It's crazy. He's like China's fucking number one foreign son, basically. Like, Let yeah. me tell you something about Marbury. You get like a green card or something, right? He took care of his body, number one. Yeah. He really took care of his body. Okay. And the, and the CBA, the Chinese Basketball Association season, is not the 82 season uh, of, of NBA. Mm-hmm. They're playing 40 games. Mm-hmm. So it's cut in half. Okay. Nice. He understood as a point guard understood the game enough that he knew exactly when to get his teammates involved and when to just take it to the rack. And, and, and he would do the latter a lot. He knew he could beat anybody in that league and he was fearless in, in driving and, and, and just finishing at the hoop or getting fouls or so on. Mm -hmm. He wasn't the best shooter, but he didn't need to be. Mm -hmm. He was such a good floor general that, uh, it was amazing like his crossover his 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 speed his his stop and starts it, w- it was just amazing to see and there were a lot of other foreign point guards that came in but they couldn't handle um um the strength the stop and starts the the the, the willingness to go to the, the 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 hoop a lot of the foreign point guards at the time were just bombing threes mm-hmm. right bombing threes bombing threes but Marbury was like relentless. He'll go right down and just like, he'll knee you in the heart before laying it up and he'll get the call. <laughs> you know, he was just fearless. And, and it, was, it was a really cool playing style. And I thought to myself, well, how long can this last, you know, as he's getting older? But he was so good at taking care of his body. And he had this, that trainer from Germany mm-hmm. who was so good at kind of, you know, getting his body, uh, you know, uh, um, ready for the next game or, or ready in the off season. He was always in fantastic shape. And he was just super smart. So, so that's, that's, where, that's where he had his success on the floor. Everything outside of that was kind of played off his success on the floor. 
mm. right? What's the successful basketball player in China doing outside? Well, I mean, he, he can be doing anything. Yeah. And, and they'll be like, yeah, that's awesome. So, so finally, I remember going to Blue Frog, which is kind of the in and out of Beijing. Oh, old Blue Frog, that's right. That's yeah, yeah. So, so I went there. With- so those are, those are actually – it's hard to find good Western food in China. Those are some decent – that's decent burgers right there, and they're huge. Like, I mean, those patties are what, like two, three inches thick, like, you know, five centimeters thick, <laughs> something like that. But they're, they're huge. Yeah, place is great. So Marbury and and uh, the other foreign player who was living there at the time, uh, Randolph Morris was hurt, so they brought in Damian Wilkins, who is um, uh, w- uh, Dominique Wilkins' nephew. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So so I, I was doing an interview with Damian. He was super, you know, open. He said, "Yeah, come on over. This is where I live. You come over to my condo." And it was in Wang Fujin. Wow, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so they, they were in, they were in the, um, the Oriental hotel in, in Wang Fujian. They had, oh. it was like a, a hotel that w- they were in suites, right? nice. kitchenettes and, and, and everything. So, so I did an interview with Damien Wilkins there. And afterwards the, the, the translator from Marbury, who was kind of Marbury's agent as well in China mm-hmm. came in and he was kind of taking care of uh, Damien at the time as well. He said, Hey, we're all going to blue frog. You want to join us? So that was like kind of my first real outside of basketball interaction with Marbury. So we're driving there and I got to tell you, Brian, I totally choked. I wasn't prepared. (laughs) I didn't know what to say. So I said nothing. I I, I just ate my burger and I I didn't want to talk. I just let them have their thing. And I was a silent observer. I was going to write an article about it, but I had nothing to write because I didn't do anything. I just, I totally choked. I totally choked. Oh, you got starstruck. I get it. <laughs> Absolutely. That's funny. I um I found for me, I found the the um best way to keep me from getting starstruck is well one is just treat everybody like they're people, right? But like secondly is do as little research as possible on whoever these people are. <laughs> so that I can just fucking ask them any sort of bullshit question if they and if they look at me like I'm dumb, I'm just like I don't know, you're just a guy. <laughs> you know. I was so used to the mass preparation. What's the angle going to be for this interview? What's the angle going to be for this job? After the game, what questions am I going to ask? Mm-hmm. That, that when, I, when I didn't have any preparation, I didn't know how to kind of approach it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do anything. Uh, I don't want to ask anything that was like outside of the line. So we just hung out. And afterwards, we used to go out drinking at, like, Elements and stuff like that. Like, I found out Marbury was, was just a regular Lao Wai, which is the, the Chinese word for foreigner, just like you and I. Like, he likes going out and having a good time and stuff like that. And he is a pretty cool dude. Yeah, people are people, man. At the end of the day, I mean, you know, everyone's pretty much the same. People do different things. They've got different ways of going about things, but they've all got the same basic needs, right? They want to, you know, take care of their family have right. a little fun and uh, maybe make a better life for themselves. Right. So yeah, it's uh that's cool, man. So you go out with Marbury quite a bit. Did, uh, did, did that relationship with him and like, and like, um, you know, understanding that level of dedication and physical fitness and stuff like, did that kind of lead you towards the boxing scene or what happened there? How did that work? Cause you, cause you kind of shot up out of nowhere. You went from nowhere to like the boxing to the Beijing city champ, dude. 
after that season, the first season a, a CBA in China, I, 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 I was done with the contract at China Daily. I got an offer to do radio, nice. which I was super excited about because I've always been a podcast fan. Mm-hmm. And I took that opportunity. You know, it was more money. It was, uh, I, I was, I was, and that, this is how I met you because my job was to be a field reporter. Oh. I had a segment called Nick on the streets. Oh yeah. Nick and on the streets, baby. Nick on, yes. <laughs> so, so the job Todd, the description was, Hey, we just want you to go and explore culture in Beijing and get a foreigner's perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And I totally twisted it and turned it into it's Nick on the streets. <laughs> And it's like, hey, uh, I'm over here in uh, uh, Wang Fujing with uh, my friend Brian, who's, uh, you know, a former Marine in the United States. And Trump is president. And we're going to ask him about that and pretend like there's a bunch of stuff going on uh, behind us. And like, you know, because it's a radio, right? It's theater of the mind. So so it's like, and it's just you and I standing in a parking lot. That was when when Trump visited China, right? Like that was when Trump visited China. So Trump had recently been elected. Mm -hmm. It was his first state trip to China, and and we were talking about him. And you know, who who better to have on than than a former marine, right? Mm -hmm. So so that's that's when you you made your appearance on Nick on the streets. That's right. So so I had that segment. Uh, I was I was finding different things from Monday to Friday to go. Which was a grind because you know, what are you gonna talk about? Like I, hadn't, so I just had to find events going on and just push my way inside of it and say, "Hey, I'm here," you know, and this is who I'm talking to, and this is what's going on, and is my ten minutes up yet? Oh my God, it is. Back to you in the studio. <laughs> it was awesome. I I I loved it. It was so I'd record that. I'd edit it. I'd run it back to the studio just in time for their five o'clock show. I was trying to remember if, if when I interviewed with you on your show, if it was about the Trump thing or if it was about the sports stuff. Um, we did a few different ones. I, I believe there were two or three of them I did, but it was always a different topic. That's what I liked about the, what I did is I always talked about something fresh, something new. Yeah. Do you remember when I did the, you know, so I did that Manchester, I, you know, I produced that, Manchester United and uh, Arsenal, sorry, uh, Manchester United and Liverpool um, event in Melbourne, right? Yeah. I remember, I remember you, I remember we were hanging out, dude, and it was me, you, and uh, um, Tyler, uh, another friend of ours, and I got this call from this guy that I met when I was working for this media company in Beijing, and he's from like Australia, but he's like, I don't, I don't even know his last name. Um, but his name is Costar, and uh, he calls me. He's like, "Hey, he's like, hey, mate. He's like, I'm I'm in Beijing. I'm in a hotel. Why don't you come hang out?" And I'm like, I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting creeped out about it." And I'm like, "Dude, it's it's me and like two other dudes. Like, yeah, just bring them all over. We'll, we'll hang out. We'll have drinks." And I'm like, I'm like, dude, why don't you just come to a bar with us?" He's like, "Oh, mate. He's like, just come on." <laughs> Remember, I was all skeeved out about it. But so we, so we, I do. We took the risk, anyways, and we went. And, was uh, he was he staying at the Intercontinental? I think so. Yeah, but he was like yeah, he was yeah. in the suite, the, like the presidential suite. And I was like, "What the hell is this guy doing?" I think he was in the penthouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it yeah. was like a Malaysian businessman. Yeah, but he's from Australia. But he's like right. living in Malaysia or Cambodia. I don't know, somewhere in Southeast Asia. And uh, we we all get together, and, and he found out that. Uh, that you do sports journalism and that Tyler had done some stuff um, related to like tennis and some other stuff. He's like, oh, he's like, 
he's like, Hey, you guys want to talk about this event? This, you know, put on this show. And me being the entrepreneur trying to figure out what the hell my path was at that point, nothing to do with sports. I'm just like, fuck it. Let's do it. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh so yeah i couldn't so i didn't remember if that if the interviews were done i think we might have done interviews for both of them actually i think we might have but uh i just i just remembered it was, <laughs> was did like, i interview co-star that night i don't know you should have <laughs> I, I think i might have i think i'm I, I think we were all just drinking and i'm like hey we should do an interview right now yeah. And I think I'm here with CoStar, who's running this thing, and I, it's like, and I used it for Monday's segment. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you see, you see how, how great this job was. I mean, you want to talk about like opportunity. You could really solidify yourself as anything there. Like there are a lot of foreigners who are like starring in movies in China. There are a lot of foreigners who are spokespersons of companies they know nothing about i was like I, I i was like you know on the fly just interviewing anybody and turning it into a segment for a radio show god that's crazy <laughs> that's crazy dude you know so how did all of that lead into your boxing career because that's that's what i want to talk about so you know, uh, in high school, I was really into sports. I, I, I'm a very athletic person, naturally. I'm pretty good at any sport that, that you know, you throw my way. I could kind of figure it out quickly. I've got kind of that natural gift. Like, I, I'm not a star at any of them, but I, I do, I could keep up with, you know, any. So, basketball is, is very, uh, you know, um, often played in China, like, casually or, or socially. Mm-hmm. But, it's pretty rough, man. Like if you do a layup on a Chinese guy, he might elbow you in the face or like push you and stuff. Like they're pretty dirty over there when it comes to like street ball and stuff. And they'll say, Hey, it's street ball, man. Like, yeah, but you can't, you can't shove me into the backboard, man. <laughs> you know, like, geez, you know, so, so, so I was like, ah, I was like, okay, well maybe like, it's tough to find a game. It's tough to, you know, you know be really competitive. Competitive. I played in a couple of leagues with a bunch of different foreigners, but I just wasn't getting my, you know, athletic itch. So I was like, okay, what else could I do? I'd love to golf, but golf is really expensive in China. And there aren't really, there aren't much screen golf or driving ranges anywhere because land is so hard to come by. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ah, man, I don't know. You remember the guy at China Daily, the sports writer who actually got me the job? Mm-hmm. Well, he was, he's actually like in the Canadian Boxing Journalist Hall of Fame. What? And he's written, he's written books about like Canadian heavyweights and stuff like oh. that. So, so during my breaks at like China Daily, I'd go down and he's always smoking a cigar at like, at like the, the, the restaurant downstairs on the patio. And he would just tell me stories about boxing. Wow. I was like, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. And, and I got into it a little bit. I started watching it and I was like, you know what? I'm going to join the boxing gym. What the heck? And the guy's like, you should, man. You should. Like, totally go for it. Go for it. You know, he's, he wanted to be my trainer and stuff like that. So, like, you know, okay, I'll, I'll go to a gym. I, I'll get involved. I'll start boxing. So, so, I, so I hired a Filipino boxing coach who's a lot like Manny Pacquiao. Huh. And I, I, didn't, I didn't even know how to throw a punch. I, I was like, how do I jab? What's a jab? Mm-hmm. You know? But, but 
uh, you know, like I said, the, the, the athletic itch or the, the natural ability in three months, I kind of figured it out. I was like moving around and stuff and like slipping jabs and slipping punches and throwing combinations. And I was like, Whoa, it's like, you want to compete in this little like white collar competition they've got going? I was like, fuck yeah. You know, why the hell not? Like throw me in there. I, I'm, at this point I'm sparring with you. So I don't mind, you know, yeah. let's do it. You know, I'm pumped. <laughs> right. So I'm going back to China daily and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to join this like white collar and yeah, I was like, I got my first match and so on. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, do it, do it. He's like this old guy, right? This old, old school boxing guy who used to like uh, go to Sugar Ray Leonard fights. <laughs> you know? So, so it's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So, so I get this fight in this like Shuangjing showdown is what yeah. they call it. It's a yeah. white collar boxing. They throw me up with this guy. I don't know who he is. I'm scared shitless. I'm pumped, you know? I'm like, fuck, dude. I might get my ass kicked, but whatever, man. I'm, I want to compete. I want to compete. So I go, uh, the guy from China Daily is there. He's like, I want to be your cut man. I'm like, fuck, man. I'm like, I don't know. But it's three rounds, two minutes, man. I don't know. But yeah, sure. So he's got his old Vaseline. He's got his, like, Q-tips and stuff like that. He's got an extra towel. He's got a bucket I could spit in. And everyone else has got, like, one trainer and, like, their girlfriend. <laughs> you know? But I've got this, like, really, like, intense cut, cut man guy who's, like, trying to live in his nostalgia moment. <laughs> Yeah, so, so and, you know, my Filipino trainer's like, hey, Nick, who, who is this guy? You know, it's like, you're like, like Stitch Duran type thing, you know? Like, he's like, I'll stitch you up, don't worry. I was like, okay. So, so we're boxing in 16 ounce gloves, which are like pillows. And it's, and, and it's outside and it's a barbecue with beers. And I'm like, oh, all right, let's rock and roll. So, so the first round, I'm just running around. I have no idea what I'm doing. But I could see that, like, this guy is pretty slow, and he kind of sucks. So, so I try to, like, ah, like throw a little punch at him, and I land, and I run away. And I'm like, oh, well, that worked. You know, so I keep running because I'm taller and faster than he is. No idea what I'm doing. Spinning around in a circle, and ding, the bell rings. I'm like, oh, shit. First round's over. <laughs> I survived. And so, so, so you know, so, so I'm in the corner, and the guy's, like, like throwing water down my pants. He's like, yeah, that'll get you pumped up. I'm like, well, like, okay, whatever. The Filipino guy's like, keep moving, keep boxing, keep punching. Uh, you know, this is fucking intense, man. Holy shit. Like, ding. Second round starts. I'm like, all right. I could run with this guy. Like, okay, I start punching. I get knocked in the face. I'm like, oh, shit. And I'm, I'm all cocky and stuff. So whenever I get hit, everyone's like, yeah, get him. And like, whenever I hit him, they're like, oh, boo. So like, you know, we're dancing a little bit and it kind of gets intense and we're tying up and we're punching. We're just throwing like wild punches. Mm -hmm. Bing! Second round over. Third round, I come out and, and, and I don't know why, but my the, 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 old, the old school guy from China Daily put like Vaseline in my hair <laughs> <laughs> because he's like, hey, Roberto Duran used to do this. Uh -huh. You look good, you look good, you'll fight good. I'm like, all right. So, so I, as I look like a real douchebag now, you know, I've got this like hair slicked back and stuff. But I could see the guys getting tired. Yeah. So, so I keep, I keep going, and finally, I pin him against the corner, and I just wail at his head oh, twice. Funny. Boom, boom. His head bounces off the rope, comes back, another right hand cross across the face. We're not wearing headgear. Mm -hmm. Lights out. Boom. Yeah. Hits the canvas. A doctor runs in. The fight is over, and I'm like, yeah! <laughs> and everyone's like, oh my god, is that guy okay? And I'm like, fuck yeah! Ah! 
like I, it was my first fight, so I don't know about like this like sportsmanship and stuff. Like, make sure the guy's okay first <laughs> before he starts out. So I'm parading around the ring, you know, and it's like, and that that was the start of my boxing career. That's right. I remember I was at that fight actually. Yeah, yeah. So 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 the, the, the second of <laughs> the second event comes around, they put me up with a tougher opponent, and I train my ass off. I stop drinking. I start yeah. eating kale. Yeah. Um, I'm just like training, training every day. I'm like, yo. I'm the champ. Nobody could meet me. I'm going in like social media in China saying the champ is here and stuff like that. And I come out and just wreck this guy because I overtrained. Like I was like too ready for this. The guy's like, holy, I beat him within, within 19 seconds. They're like, okay, this is up. You can't fight this guy. Nick, you're, you're an animal. And that really fed my ego. So, so I've got this basketball thing that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm training you know, and, and this is, uh, I'm training when I'm not working or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I'm working at China Daily, right? So when I worked in radio, I had, I had more free time so I could train more. But the guy, the, the guy from China Daily was still kind of contacting me. When's your next fight, champ? You know, stuff like that. So, so, that, so then the third one comes around. Um, uh, the, uh, and, and it's kind of like a, 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 an off-site event, uh, like a Chinese gym, and they have an event. Mm -hmm. I crush the guy there. And, and at this point, I'm just unstoppable, right? I knocked the guy out my third fight. Knocked the guy out my first fight. Knocked the guy out my second fight. Knocked the guy out third fight. Who's going to stop me? So at this point, I just, I, I, everywhere I go in like the, the foreign community, I'm calling myself the champ. <laughs> why the hell not? Why the hell not? And, and, you know, some people hated it. And some people were like running with it like you were. You thought it was hilarious. But I was just going into the bar and I was saying, the champ is here. <laughs> That's true. I was going up to the Chinese bartender and said, the champ wants a Heineken. That's right. <laughs> so you didn't let it get to your head at all. <laughs> not at all. And, you know, I, 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 there's like this marketing side, this journalism side. It was all about like selling the fight or so on or selling the persona. Of the sure. so, so the last one I did, right. And, and, and this was like the sixth one. I, I did a couple other ones where I won, but I moved up in weight. So I moved up from welterweight to middleweight. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I had to like put on the pounds and it was a slugfest, but I went in there. So it was the best middleweight that the guy had on his roster for the Shuangjing showdown. Mm -hmm. This guy's been in multiple fights. He's, he trains all the time. He's from Greece. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, well, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. So I was a little nervous, but I went in there and, 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 and just like pounded and pounded and, and just landing. And I, he's trying to hold on to me, so, but I couldn't knock him out. Mm -hmm. going up in weight class i just didn't have the power to knock him out so i just kept bringing punches off his bald head no offense to bald people there brian oh, i just kept bringing shots off his head ringing shots to his body and uh he wouldn't he wouldn't fall anyway i won unanimously but but that's that's what it yeah that was my last fight so i i'm a two-time shuang two weight division sorry two weight division shuangjing showdown champion Maybe pound for pound. I mean, that's, that's that's exactly what I was going. Dynamite oh. drop in Brian. Pound for pound, Shuangjing showdown champion. You know, it's kind of your your rise in the the boxing in the Beijing boxing circuit it was <laughs> meteoric, dude. I remember the first that first fight was ridiculous. You didn't you had no idea what you're doing. <laughs> no idea what I was doing. Running around the ring. I wasn't even shuffling. I was literally like running around the ring. 
and and like the the the, the pop that you got of the knocked him out. It was. It was just like this. It was huge. Like haymaker. It was. I I threw it from one corner to the other, and the guy's head bounced off the the rope, and like I think he was already knocked out at the time, but he bounced off the rope, and his momentum from the head just went right into the punch, and he was out cold. Yeah. God bless that he was okay, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's funny, man. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So where are you on your journey now? Because because this has been pretty epic journey, dude. Going from you know working your way into the NBA credentials as a guerrilla journalist, showing success as a Chinese propagandist at China Daily and and the radio. China was at CRI, murdering people <laughs> in, <laughs> in the Beijing boxing circuit. Murderer. What's going on now, dude? Where are you at? Because you're not in China anymore. You're back in Toronto. I'm back in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've used all my experience and, and shifted it towards a digital, a digital marketing career. Mm. So all those Google ads you see on Google, I'm, I'm managing uh, some pretty big clients on Google advertising. Mm-hmm. So that's been paying. That's, that's it. I've had a really successful career so far in that. I've been in this game for three, four years now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've left the journalism on the side. Um, I, I don't like the direction that the uh, industry is going in. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm using all of kind of that creativity into kind of marketing. And that's been super successful for me. Um, as far as the boxing, not so much. I'm, I'm kind of playing golf now. So really, at a certain point in time, you start winding down and, and settling a little bit. So, so I, I'm not as, you know, as a go-getter as I, as I once was. I tried starting my own uh, digital marketing company. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that didn't work out. Uh, I, didn't, I couldn't launch it. Um, I, I will in the future, but it, it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have plans to, to go on my own, but as of right now, the timing just isn't there yet. So I'm just uh, you know, uh, grinding away at, at, these co- at this company that I work for now that pays me extremely well and, and treats me extremely well for, for the work I do for them. So, so I'm quite content with where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Future plans, I do want to start my own company. And I hope that you have me on again when I do that, because that would be some awesome promotion. Oh, hell yeah, dude. No, I'm, I'm all about that. And you were talking about from the beginning, man, from the top, you know, it is all about the journey, right? You know, there's a lot of people, I mean, even the startup world is, it's like the wild west dude like there's so many people that are going to try and try and make it happen and going to fail like gold rush right so many people are going to try and pan for gold and not get not get anything and not you know they'll start their business and it doesn't quite work but like i think what matters is that you're doing what you're passionate about right what you love what you're good at and what people are willing to pay you for right and like as long as you have those things aligned and you just keep going um or you know, sometimes you got to get off the path for a little bit, um, you know, plan B for a little while, put plan A on the side burner. You know, there's, there's respect that goes with that. You know what I mean? There's respect with just the fact that you even get out there and try. Once you get back on that path, which I know you will, because uh, I, cause I, I know how you are. Uh, you're, you're that driven guy, man. <laughs> you're the champ. 
quantum okay. champ, quantum beast, baby. <laughs> look, look, if there's anything you could learn from this, yeah. it's once you have a goal, once you know where you want to get to, you, you, you put the time, but it, it all comes down to how prepared are you? How hard are you working to get there? Yep. And, and how are you with timing? Because if you, if you, if you, if you skip too many steps, that's going to catch up to you. Yep. So I, I, I made sure to kind of, you know, start small and, and, and go through every single step in the process in order to get to where I want to go. And, and, and timing, they, they call it luck, but I call it timing. Timing is everything. Yeah. I hear that, man. Well, uh, speaking of timing, it's about time to wrap it up, right? You got a nice little dinner with the wifey, little birthday dinner, man. Dude, it's been great chatting with you, man. I uh, look forward to the next one. Can't wait to hear what you got going on, man. Likewise, Brian. I love what you're doing with 8B Media. Keep up the great work, and I hope to be on again soon. Thanks, man. Anything you want to plug real quick before we let you go? 8bmedia.com. It's <laughs> going to be the new... It's going to be the new podcasting platform. As far as uh, plugging anything I've got going on, Brian, no, um, I, I'm, I'm all good there. But, but keep doing what you're doing. We, we, you have a great audience. You have great content. And uh, we, we love to see the, uh, the hard work you put in uh, to uh, achieve what you want to do. Oh, man, I appreciate it, dude. You know, it's, uh, it's nice to get some positive feedback like that. Nick Bedard, everyone. Peace. You've been listening to Half the City with Brian Shinborn, presented by AB Media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends, and leave a solid five-star review to ensure these stories get spread far and wide. For more information, as well as to listen to other shows, including Relentless, a survivor's search for passion, purpose, and inner peace, and beyond Relentless, be sure to check out 8bmedia.com. Thank you for listening.